Studies show that over 60% of young adults are leaving the church once they graduate from high school. How can we welcome young people into the Bible in ways that truly connect? This is the Bible Reset Podcast brought to you by the Institute for Bible Reading. Welcome to our show. I'm Alex Goodwin, joined by my colleagues Paul Caminiti and Glenn Powell, as well as our first guest, Nathan Smith. Nathan is a high school Bible teacher in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and we first met him a few years back when we learned that he was the first, at least to our knowledge, uh, teacher to try our Immerse resource within a classroom setting. His class read through the entire New Testament together and discussed it in community, which really doesn't happen in a typical New Testament survey class. Before becoming a high school teacher, Nathan has been a pastor, missionary, window washer, carpenter, and professional student. His latest degree is a THM in the Old Testament, which is his favorite part of the Bible, and what he spends most of his time teaching. Nathan is actually joining us today from school, so if you hear young, vibrant voices in the background or school bells ringing, uh, you know why. So, uh, Nathan, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Hey, Nathan, um, it is a pleasure to have you on the show. And you've really been one of the early adopters of our vision to change the way the world reads the Bible. And you had the courage or the audacity or the insanity to believe it might actually happen with high school students, uh, which is which is your your realm. And um, you you reset the Bible in your particular setting. And I don't think most of us realize Probably what a challenge that was. Curriculums are set, materials have been, you know, developed, and you you changed the script. And we want to hear about that and uh, how that went today. But before that, um, we want to hear a little bit about your personal experience with the Bible. How did you get hooked on the Bible? Nobody wakes up one morning and they're suddenly enchanted with the Bible. So how did that happen for you? Um, yeah, I grew up in a missionary home. Uh, Western Canada, my parents are church planners with the uh, First Nations people there. And my dad and my mom are both avid Bible readers. Um, I wake up each morning with my dad, Bible open on one side, commentary open on the other. And he would uh, be doing his personal devotions like that nearly every morning. Um, and then we just were constantly in Bible spaces, whether that was a Sunday school class or a church plant meeting or a club or, you know, uh, maybe a camp that we were running. But the Bible was central to everything. Like so many homes, it, our lives revolved around what was read and what was said in the Bible. And um, but at the same time, I had a kind of a daunting relationship with it. It felt, and I use this word very carefully, I don't mean it in its in exact meaning, but it felt magical at times because it was treated almost like, an incantation where if you read it enough, say it enough, and memorize it enough, it'll have some sort of indirect effect on you. And um, the words that you speak from the Bible are powerful. And therefore, when you say them, there's a power that goes with them that is almost uh, supernatural. And so I had a great sense of sacred respect for it, but also I was a little scared of it. And I was also... I had some anxiety around it. And at the end of the day, it just wasn't that much fun to interact with on my own. It was fun to hear somebody else do it, hear a Bible teacher do it. But on my own, it was really intimidating. And and I 
it kind of just didn't have a anything else other than memorizing as a format to to engage it. And I don't like memorizing anything. So. So Nathan, it's interesting to think about you know, what you just described as your experience and maybe compare that to what you see in the students that come into your classroom. We, of course, are a Bible reading organization. So we've been distressed at reading about the number of young people walking away from the church, walking away from the Bible. By the time your students get to your classroom, of course, they've been probably in Christian school for a while, going to church, Christian homes. Uh, they've been somewhat immersed in these Christian settings. So how would you describe the general spiritual condition of the students that come into your classroom? Where are they when you when you get them? You know, in many ways, they're actually at a very good place. I get freshmen and sophomores. Hmm. Freshmen for my Old Testament, sophomores for my New Testament. And they're still somewhat connected to the family rituals that they're part of. Most of which, because I'm in a Christian school, also does Bible reading, um, whether that's evening devotions, morning devotions. Um, but I would say this. Their, their experience with the Bible is different from mine in, the, in this particular way. I was afraid of it and anxious around it because of the memorization protocol and all those other things. They actually are seeing it more like a book to inspire them. So when they go to the New Testament, they're looking for an inspirational verse to pick up like a pick me up um, mm. and the, they grasp onto verses, their life verses that are out of context that just somehow impact them the way a good meme on their Instagram. <laughs> would impact them. And that's not wrong, but it doesn't do justice to what is going on in most of what Paul's writing because he's writing whole letters. Um, and I do sense that some of them are just bored and over familiar with the Bible. And the familiarity is because my students in particular are really familiar with it from Bible, uh, Bible classes they attend at other schools from first through you know eighth grade or in kindergarten, actually. And then they just have a lot of like church stuff going on all the time. They're inundated with the Bible and they come in kind of bored and over familiar. And um, my goal in the first two weeks is to make them feel as foreign to the Bible as possible because of that. Um, but it, it is a challenge because they're very familiar. And those are my students. Other students that engage the Bible elsewhere, um, Bible's complicated. Much of the teaching doesn't get into some of those harder to understand passages and they're glossed over or they're not even read. And then when somebody comes along in their adult right life and reads that to them, uh, then they're like, hey, why didn't anyone ever tell me about this? And then you have a big question that kind of needed to be answered a long time ago. So I think those are the two issues that do come up even here, um, but definitely more the first one with my students. So Nathan, um, <clears throat> you've taught Bible classes before you were introduced to immerse. And as I recall, the class that you had been assigned to teach was a New Testament uh, survey class. Uh, can you describe what the New Testament survey classes had been like before? And I think you have some knowledge about, you know, what this is like in a lot of other Christian schools as well. And, you know, I, I heard from one of your colleagues that they compared the New Testament survey class. It was kind of like showing kids 
the trailer uh, to the movie and never watching the movie. Is that uh, describing yeah. it? Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but but describe what traditionally a Bible class would be like in that Christian school setting. Sure. Uh, now I'm going to speak a little bit from ignorance because my first semester teaching in a uh, Christian high school, I used a nurse. <laughs> so, um, but I did teach college in the same city classes, New Testament survey, and I've taught it in other places. Um, a lot of the input was, um, use one of my former colleague words. Um, the teaching was based on words about the words rather than the words, which is, uh, something that one of my colleagues mentioned, and that just stuck with me. You're teaching them words about the words. And one of the things, obviously, you get taught in grad school is primary resources are the first place you go to, and then you go to secondary uh, resources. And that's not something that we've traditionally done with New Testament survey or Old Testament survey, even in the collegiate, like in college or in universities. We're just not having people read this stuff. They're saying, okay, this is what it says. We're not going to read it, but here's all the different theories about how to understand that passage. Here's the context behind that passage. Here's even some different contextual readings from this perspective, this perspective, from different parts of the world, maybe. But then the actual text is not read itself. And you list, you miss this whole chunk of engagement because you're just not reading the words. You're reading the words about the words. And I think that would be very typical of an experience for, uh, for any student that comes out of our school prior to you know, the immerse experience. So Nathan, how did you meet Immerse? How did you first discover it? And what were your initial impressions when you first encountered this new kind of Bible? Um, so my colleague, Matt Laidlaw, was supposed to teach the class that I ended up teaching. And uh, he had found out about it because he's written books also on how to increase student engagement with the Bible um, through the Fuller uh, Youth Institute. And he had been in touch with Paul, and he had a box of uh, Messiah immersed Bibles in the corner of his office. And I came in actually late. I was hired on the spot. Uh, they had run out of a chance to hire somebody. It was just a big mess, and it was an emergency move. And I, avail I was available to teach, so I came in. And I said, you know, I've taught before, but not high school uh, students. What should I do differently than college students? And he said, well... I've got this thing that I, he, he was also under duress about what to do. And, and he just contacted Paul and said, Hey, can I have that resource that you're, you're really <laughs> apparently right around the time you guys got going. And so he said, this is what I was going to do. Maybe you should do it. So I basically just picked up the book, the uh, box of books, walked into my classroom, opened them up and just said, okay, guys, this is what we're doing. And that was within the span of half a week. Wow. Uh, so to be honest, there wasn't a lot of great, a depth, in-depth study, research, or anything really done. It was more by sheer accident, pressure, and the daunting schedule of a, a high school teacher. So you were discovering it as your students were discovering it, actually. Yeah, but as any good teacher does, I acted like I knew everything. Yes, about. of course. That's what yeah. you do. Exactly. <laughs> no, we were discovering it together, which was actually very magical in so many ways. And the thing, the impact that, that it was having on them, it was having on me in the same exact way for the same reasons. It was all fresh and new. It wasn't fresh and new because I'd read the Bible multiple times throughout my, I've got three degrees, I've got a PhD and then a, a, a BA in church history with also theology. So I had interacted and read the Bible numerous times, listened, 
um, but never like this. But it was having the same kind of impact on me that it was having on them at the same time for the first time. I love that. This is uh, how the kingdom comes, right? Suddenly, unexpectedly, right. messily. So, uh, so tell us uh, about your class's experience with Immerse. Well, at first, uh, that first class that we just mentioned, um, I knew one thing. I knew that I had to give them lenses for how to read as long as they were reading. So that was my first approach, and I had to pull that together quite quickly. So I spent a lot of time on first century context for Messiah, the history of the Caesars, who Herod was, all those kinds of things, lenses, and also just other literature that was out there um, that talked about all the things um, that you would need to know in order to understand what you're reading. And so for me, it, 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 um, it really boiled down to doing two things. Let's read this every week and I'll give you lenses when we're reading it. And other than that, I'm not really sure what we're going to do. <laughs> and uh, when we started opening it up, I said, you know what? And I, the first thing I thought was if I tell students to read this, um, they're not going to do it unless they're in the class doing it with me. And that's when I looked at the model that, um, that Immerse has to do it in, uh, you know, reading out loud in groups. So I said, we're going to actually read this in class. I know I've been a bad student at times. And if you send me home to read something half the time, I might not do it, which would ruin the impact. So I was like, we've got to do this in class. We've got to take, we've got to take a huge chunk out of the instruction time and just use that for reading together. And then talking, asking questions, doing that in, in the time that we have in class. That was the best thing that could have happened. And again, it wasn't a lot of thought put into it. It was just like, I want to make sure they get it done. But in the end, it actually ended up being the best way to read this together. So Immerse, of course, has formatting. It's a presentation that's different than a lot of Bibles. Uh, the book order is different. There's no chapters and verses. Every other kind of reference help, uh, footnotes, it's all taken out. So what was your students' reaction to this new kind of reading format of the Bible? Anything about that in particular that struck you? Yeah, uh, that, that is um, one of the most striking features, obviously, that, that they see right away. And I, cho I, I show it to them right away. And even yesterday when I was introducing my course in the Old Testament, beginnings, first volume, I had them open. I gave, well, actually, I gave up volumes of the entire, um, all of them, prophets, poets, everything that you guys produce. And I said, open that up. And then I held up the NIV study Bible above my head and then I opened it up. <laughs> and I said, what, what does this look like? Just don't, don't think Bible, but what does it look like when I open up the pages? What, what would this look like if you weren't looking at a Bible? And they said, it looks like a textbook. It looks like a dictionary. And I was like, yeah, and what do you use textbooks and dictionaries for? Homework. How many of you <laughs> like homework? Silence. <laughs> and I was like, so how many of you would enjoy reading this, you know, you know, leisure, pleasure reading at night before you go to bed? Crickets. And then um, by the end of it, they, I was like, okay, now look at the ones I've given you from the Immerse. So they opened those up. And I said, like, what's different? And they're like, oh, it looks like a novel. Oh, this looks like a book I could read. This looks like, you know, some of the books I read uh, before I go to bed or when I'm out at the cabin with my parents or whatever. And I said, well, what else do you notice? Chapters and verses. Why is that? 
I was like, what? And then I go through the history of how chapters and verses were added. And then I, and then I bring out the point, Hey guys, uh, how many, how long do you think people have had books to read? And then we talk about the history of morality and how most texts were read to people versus being read by them for most of the history of the church. I said, we're going to go back to that era, but do it now. And, uh, and, and this is the best resource to get back to how the Bible was interacted with for, for most of the first 1500 years of the church, uh, if not continuing afterwards. So they actually get excited. Some of them are uh, more excited than others. Some of them are apprehensive. Some of them are confused. And then I also mentioned, guys, it is the real Bible. Just because it's broken up in volumes doesn't mean it's not the real Bible. It's just formatted differently. And they're still like hesitant. Always by the second or third week, the feedback I get is, oh, this is so much better. In fact, I'll read a, a student response. Uh, they actually give me a lot of great responses to uh, this. One, one girl said, I've heard these stories many times growing up since Sunday school, but reading them this way really makes me think that since it's a story and not just verses, I don't need to memorize it. I need to read a story. And not that she shouldn't memorize it, but she was realizing, like, that's not the best or most important way. It is one way, but it's like, this is a story. Um, one girl said, while I was reading Messiah, there was so much information I didn't know before. And it was kind of embarrassing that I didn't know that Jesus had siblings. I only picked that up by reading Messiah. Uh-huh. So a lot about filling in details that they just didn't know before because they just read the words. Um, there's... There's numerous times where they've come back and just said, um, this format feels so much easier to read. I feel like I'm reading a story. At first, I thought it was just going to be boring like it usually is when I'm taught or read or whatever. But now reading the Bible, uh, Jessica, one of my students said, reading the Bible is more interesting now. I like the layout of the book. It helps me realize that it isn't just a book of do's and don'ts. So there's been a lot of positive feedback about the format. Mostly confusion at the beginning or like, you know, hesitancy. Once they get into it, that all falls away and they love it. Nathan, I remember interviewing one of your students after Immerse Messiah. And he said to me, you know, I have a study Bible at home, but when I read that, it makes me tense. Yeah. And I said, really, that's that's not the desired impact that we're looking for. And he said, then, as a follow up for the first time, I've been able to read and relax. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was that was great. So, uh, you know, in addition to them experiencing a different format, uh, you opened this up for class conversation. And I'm assuming that when you did that, your role as a teacher may have changed a little bit. In fact, I think maybe you're the one that uh, shared this phrase with me that I'd never heard that in the traditional Bible class, it's usually the sage from the stage. And you went from being the sage from the stage to the guide on the side. So talk to us about the conversations and, you know, inviting There's the bell. There's the bell. Saved by the bell. Um, so it, talk, talk to us about the, the whole idea of, of open-ended conversations where you're not necessarily looking for right or wrong answers. Right. Good. 
you know, and a lot of the, the education up to this isn't, uh, they weren't educated wrongly, but much of it was um, answer sheet, um, question and answer, long answer questions, things that they just needed to provide feedback on the information. So when they come into the class and we invite them just to read it, to read it in groups, to read it out loud, to go find a space outside of the classroom where it's just for them and they feel safe because um, that really does change this. You know, the setting makes a big difference. Um, they're able to let down their guards because I'm not there as the teacher all the time. And that actually is a good thing sometimes when you teach. And what happens in those groups is as they're reading, they'll stop. And I always say, you know, circle something, at least one thing per day we read that frustrates you about what you read or that was hard to understand. And then underline at least one thing that stands out to you was interesting or you didn't see before. And then talk about that with your group. Use the questions from the immersed reading schedule, the four questions uh, that they provide. Just at least answer one of those questions about what you underlined or what you circled. And those conversations, and I don't actually get to be part of most of them, but I hear back that friends are made there that weren't friends before because I mixed my groups up that when a student didn't understand something, it wasn't the teacher who helped them understand. It was their friend, their peer who like leaned in on a question and said, well, I kind of think this, or I heard it at my church, right? When I studied at this, you know, they provide their own observations and opinions. And then they're not always right, but that freedom where the teacher's not present and they can just do this with peers allows them to open up a lot more, provide peer feedback. And I have seen students respond to that as one of the most important parts of the semester is learning from their friends just because they're reading together in a book club. So one of the things that I really love each semester is I tell my students, hey, look, this semester, you guys are going to be reading Pentateuch in the Old Testament entire New Testament and the New Testament class. And you're going to see things that I've never seen before. I, I say, I've been studying the Bible professionally for 20 years off and on. I've got three degrees in it. And there's still things that my students show me every semester that I still haven't seen yet because they're just reading the words, just working through the words. And then they have a question and then I, they ask me and I don't have an answer because I don't remember ever seeing what they've seen or what they're looking at. And, uh, and, I'm, and so I just tell them, guys, you are going to teach me something I've never seen before. You are going to show me something that I've never seen before. And I love it because I learn from you every semester. One of my favorites was in Exodus when Moses is with all the elders of Israel up on the top of Mount Sinai, which I didn't know that that part of the story actually existed. And I studied that passage over and over. And I still can't believe I missed it. But the reason they saw that there was this dinner that God had on top of the mountain with all the elders of Israel and Moses, like God ate dinner with them, it says, um, was because he was standing on a lapis lazuli. And if you know anything about Minecraft and freshmen, they know <laughs> Minecraft. and one of the most precious stones in Minecraft when they're playing is a lapis lazuli. So when they saw that, that blew their mind. They're like, wait, there's lapis lazuli in the Bible. I thought that was only in Minecraft. And they make that connection, but it's in the middle of this dinner that God is having with the elders of Israel that I'd never seen before. So it was just—it's just incredible what they see and what I have never seen, uh, and they do it every every semester. 
And, and your class in, invented, I think, something of a grid for the way you evaluated certain questions, especially difficult questions that surfaced. Uh, take a minute to talk about apples and bananas and coconuts. Right. That's a, that's a fun one to do every semester. When I was in India and teaching there, one of the uh, seminary professors developed an interpretive framework for pastors in rural areas who didn't have formal education about how to read text and to then discern, is this like, if it's a really difficult text, how do I understand it? And he came up with A, B, C, apple, banana, coconut. And I thought, hey, what's good for, I guess you could say this, the goose is good for the gander. I don't know. Anyways, my students benefit just as much from those kinds of instructions from a rural pastor in India, a high school student here in Grand Rapids. They understand the same concept. So I said, hey, when we're going through this, what I want you to do is, as you're underlining and circling, I want you to assign value to what you're, what you're reading. If it's something that's easy to understand, then it's like an apple. An apple is, you can pick it up with one bite, enjoy it. You don't have to do anything else. Some passages are like that. They're straightforward. They don't take a lot of work. You don't have to study the context. And you're not going to spend too much time looking at other resources to understand because it's right there in front of you and it's accessible. Some passages need at least one layer peeled back. And in, in order, if you don't do that, it won't make sense to you. So you need at least maybe one layer of context or you need to understand something about the history or you need to like do one small word study or one word in there. And then that will open up that verse or that passage for you. But it's just one layer of context. And that's like a banana. You can't enjoy a banana without pulling back the first layer. But once you do, you've got it. And then we get to the coconut. And I say, you know, there's honestly some passages that either are really hard to understand, some of them that are impossible because we just don't know enough about the context, but there are some passages that are just going to take a lot more work. And then I ask them, how do you open up a coconut, like right off the tree? And, you know, they go through the whole process. We got to peel back this and crack open this and dig out that. And I said, yeah, there are some passages like that. And you're not responsible to be able to do all of that, but I'm going to teach you a little bit of how to do that. But when you hit those, Identify it as a coconut and explain to me why. Give me the layers that you think are there for understanding and interpreting. So, Nathan, speaking of coconuts, you're teaching not just the New Testament, the Messiah New Testament, but you actually like to teach the First Testament. And yeah. there's a lot more strangeness going on with the First Testament, right? So what's it like introducing students to this part of the Bible in particular? And, and just tell me what that, what that experience is for kids, because it's more strange, more foreign, and farther away from them in time and place and culture. Yeah. And that is a lot of fun. It's a huge challenge, but that is so much fun for me because that's the work I did in my THM. Just trying to figure out early Israelite thinking and their thoughts on mm. all the things like sacrifice. And the other day I was saying, all right, I have the students stand up and every semester their final exam is to tell me the whole story of the Old Testament. And that's one of the instruction things we do, as well as reading the Pentateuch, first five books. And we get, they all know the story of Abraham and Isaac, and they read it in Genesis. Um, and I asked them, I said, have you ever wondered why Abraham never questioned sacrificing his own son when the God we serve told him to do so? 
And they're like, well, no, you know, and then they right away, they jump to Jesus and they say, you know, it's a picture of Jesus. And I'm like, yes, it's true. Everything points to Jesus. But do you ever just question why sacrifice wasn't abhorrent to them? And it takes about me asking that three times for them to finally realize that. I was like, so, so that do any of you sacrifice anything? Did you sacrifice anything before you came to school today? And they just sit there and they're like, Oh, I remember are so familiar with these practices that they don't question the existence of the practice itself. And so a lot of the work that we're doing and lenses we're giving, I take the first month and a half just in Genesis and Exodus, just because, well, maybe five, six weeks, just because I need to teach them how to read it as we're reading it. And so Immerse gives me that great platform to do all that work. So we talk about sacrifice and the role of sacrifice in the ancient Near East. By the end of the course, when I say A&E, they know exactly what I'm talking about, ancient Near Eastern context. And we talk about the role of the liver. So when they're reading Leviticus, they're like, this is so boring, Mr. Smith. Why do you make us read Leviticus? It's two weeks, grueling. I'm like, it's not so bad. But then we jump in. And I say, all right, where did, when did you read about the liver? And they're like, oh, here. And they show me the different times that God said to burn up the liver. I was like, all right. So then we look at like ecstasy, the practice of reading and div divining through livers. That was like a thousand year old tradition in the ancient Near East. And then I asked them, you know, when people sacrifice animals and they pull a liver out and they try to tell the future with it, which was something everybody did around the Israelites, why do you think God tells them in Leviticus to burn up the liver and the fatty portions of the sacrificial animal completely and devoted to him? Boom, click, they get it. They're like, because Mr. Smith, uh, because God doesn't want them to tell the future. He wants to, them to trust him with the future. I'm like, yeah. But do you see what he's doing in Leviticus? I know it can be grueling and boring, but do you see why he has to say it over and over and over and over again? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, Mr. Smith, yeah, yeah. And they get through Leviticus and they're like, wow, that was tough. And there was some really weird stuff, like, you know, the, the sexuality issues and that reading that with freshman boys is not always, it can be, I'll just, it's interesting. I'll just say that. Um, <laughs> so when, when they get to those passages, they're like, why do you have to have a rule to tell someone not to do something that everyone knows you shouldn't do anyway? I'm like, well, <laughs> we got to go to the context. What, what do you think's going on? Are you serious? They did that? Yeah, that happened back then. Still happens today. And so, I mean, the Bible is relevant for today, but that was, that was the context. You got it. And so then they're asking lots and lots of questions about the context. And the funny thing is, I've had, a substitute come in and read for those days for me. And she keeps yelling at me like, stop making me read those parts of Leviticus. So, <laughs> nice. But if I make, they read it. They have to read it. And those passages are never read by freshman boys. Yeah. Well, this is the Bible we hide from people all the time, right? I mean, we don't show people the whole Bible typically. Right. So there you go. There is an advantage, but I have to be careful. I do split up the groups gender wise. So they're not reading it together. Um, but it's something I'm not going to let them get away with not reading those parts. That is the Bible that, that they are guided by. Nathan, where, where were you when I was taking, taking Bible classes? I, I think, uh, in my situation, it was the most hated class in the school, but, uh, I think I would have liked your class. Um, you know, at certain intervals, you've actually had to kind of rework your grading system uh, because you're wanting people to have a book club and you're not wanting to just regurgitate answers back so that they right. get an A in the class. And so one of the things you ask them periodically to write down their reflections, et cetera. Uh, but is there a story or two that uh, stand out to you 
of uh, young people that are talking about uh, the experience? Yeah, I collect these every semester, um, sometimes in tears because of how powerful just reading words of scripture are for students. Some of them walk away astounded. Some of them walk away like, that was hard, but it was totally worth it. Um, others walk away with lives that are different because they've just read the words rather than words about the words as only. Um, one story that I'll never forget is in my first semester, um, I had one student come in after finishing reading Revelation, the last week of reading we had. She walked in the class and she looked at me and she said, Mr. Smith, I am so sad. I was like, what's wrong? Oh, no, freshman uh, girls, friend of crying in my class, what do I do? Um, said, I'm, I'm so sad. Bible's over. I'm done reading. It's, I don't get to read anymore. <laughs> it was like my jaw dropped, and I said, what do you mean? And she said, I just finished our reading for Revelation, I've done the New Testament, and I'm really sad. And I, again, I asked, like, what do you mean? And she said, well, you know, whenever I get to the end of a really good novel, I want it to keep going. And that's exactly what happened with me reading Messiah. I didn't want it to stop. And I, I just was blown away in that moment. And I, I teared up a little bit. And I was like, if a student in their freshman or sophomore year can say that about reading the Bible, we can change the way people read the Bible. And we can change people's hearts along with it. Yeah, I think it's, uh, I mean, I know you're you're in a specific role, but it seems to me that just hearing you talk about these experiences with these students, that this is has implications for the broader world. So just kind of a final question. What do you, what do you think are those implications? Um, most people, I would say, and I, I grew up in a K through 12 Christian school myself, church, home, got it everywhere. But I know for sure that that we graduated non-Bible readers. So I'm just curious if you have any ideas or thoughts about what are the broader implications for the church and the Bible that you would say your experience with these kids in this classroom with this new kind of experience uh, has brought to your vision for uh, the, the wider church? That's a great question. I've thought a lot about it. Um, I was a missionary overseas. I've taught university and graduate level uh, seminary overseas. I worked with one of the missionary statement, statesmen of our time, George Verwer, started Operation Mobilization for two years, traveled to 40 different countries. I'm not saying that to brag. I just, I saw a lot of what was going on. Uh, and I can tell you, A, there needs to be more training done for people that are out there just in the trenches doing the work. Um, but they also need to read more. There's a lot of the impetus behind the work that they're doing is to try and help explain the Bible. And then they, they read it in whatever language they're at. Um, but uh, the readability of the Bible is still a barrier for them as well and their congregants or their churches or wherever they're working. And a resource like this, I mean, one of the conversations I want to have with you guys, and I'm going to push for some, I'm sure you guys are already thinking, this, is uh, we've got to find a way to publish this in other countries where it's a lot cheaper so that we can get immersed into the hands of rural, poor, Southeast Indians, part, parts of Southwest, you know, Africa and other ways, places where publishing is not as readily available as it is here in the U.S. Uh, this resource could transform all of that, you know, everything that's going on there. Particularly, though, I would say 
um, with my students, I'll say this, you know, Bart Ehrman is a scholar who went to Moody Bible Institute, same school I went to for my undergrad. He came out of there as a scholar who wanted to challenge the historicity and veracity of the New Testament otherwise, because he saw so many holes in scholarship around scripture and study of scripture. And, and uh, I came out of there with a different vision, but the same questions and the same concerns that he had. And, and when I read or look at what Bart Ehrman's doing with his scholarship and trying to poke holes in the Bible, he's not doing uh, bad work in the sense like he's not asking the wrong questions. He's asking all the right questions. And we historically just haven't had good answers. And so part of the reason we don't have good answers is one, because of scholarship and just all the stuff we have to learn. But two, people just don't know the Bible. They don't know the Bible. And so... Uh, they're just going to believe people that are smarter than them and have more degrees. But if they're actually reading the words themselves, you're preparing a much more stronger foundation for them to A, be rooted in scripture, but also to hear somebody say something and be like, ah, I don't know if that's what the Bible says. I read it and it, you know, it says this. Um, and I, I just think people who are reading scripture are that much more prepared when they read word by word, page to page, whole books, whole letters, they're much more prepared to handle the hard questions and the hard questions are not going to stop. And, uh, I remember being at, uh, in London the speaker's corner down in, um, the, the Hyde park, Queens park, I think. <clears throat> and we were there with a group of people trying to talk to, uh, Muslims who are out there. Cause, uh, there's a lot of Muslim speakers that would get up and share speaker's corner. If you're not familiar, you can put a, a box, stand on it and say anything you want. It's free speech. And anyone can listen to you. They can heckle you. They can do whatever they want. And we went down there to talk with some of people who were sharing about their faith from the Islam. And I remember this one guy pulling out a Bible as I was trying to talk to him and dialoguing with him and saying, look at this. Look at this discrepancy. Look at this verse. Look down here. It tells you that there's three different options for how this verse could be written. And this part in the end of Mark, it says right here, it's not even supposed to be there. Uh, some people think it shouldn't be there. That was the first time I'd ever seen those things. And I was being told by a Muslim on speaker corner in Hyde Park in London. I didn't sleep for the night afterwards because it, it upset my internal balance so much. And I, all I did was walk up and down the hallway trying to figure out what I would have said to him had I known what to say. And I could not sleep all night. Maybe I got two hours. That moment changed me forever for two reasons. One, mm. I need to study the context. I need to know this stuff. I need to read these words as they are instead of having somebody else tell me about them. If I don't know that stuff, I don't have an answer for somebody like that. When we are sending students out into the world from our Bible schools and Bible colleges who have never read those words. I don't know that issue. By then, I was a Bible school co- graduate, and I had never seen that before. Maybe because I wasn't such a good student at one point. Maybe, who knows? But nonetheless... That was the problem. And this resource is staged to A, be a foundation to solve problems like that. And B, it, it just, I read to the end of Mark. And all of my students know that there's alternative endings at the end of Mark. <laughs> Ask that question because it says it right there. And it says it in every Bible, but when you don't read Mark all the way through front to back, you're not going to see that. And they ask all the hard questions. My sophomores. Why is that there, Mr. Smith? 
And then we talk about why and what, what could be possible. But now they're not going to have the same experience as I did when I was 21, uh, talking to somebody with a different faith about my own sacred text. Yeah. Yeah. I, we're not doing people any favors by, by shielding them from the real Bible. And I think right. sometimes we think that's what we have to do. And it's like you said, it, your comment about magic at the very beginning. And it's this sacred text in such a way that there can't be any of those issues. So thank you, Nathan, for bringing that to us today. And um, I think there is a bigger vision there for the church with the Bible. And uh, we hope that what you are doing in your classroom, that kind of experience can spread and grow throughout the church. So thanks for bringing that to us today. Yeah, no problem. It's been fun. I really, really appreciate the work you guys are doing. I hope it spreads. I hope more schools do this. Uh, there's just, I can't imagine changing this now that I've done it. Who knows, maybe in 10 years, somebody will come up with something. But I, it's, I just can't imagine what that would look like. This is a, a phenomenal resource. Well, thanks, Nathan. This is this has really been fun, and uh, you know, you're you're our first guest, and you've set the bar high for for subsequent guests. It's been really fun to just hear your take on um, where where students and where teens are at with the Bible. And you know, we hear a lot of church stories, adult stories. You know, people in their forties or fifties. But I think it makes our heart beat a little faster when we hear what's happening with fourteen and fifteen year olds. So, uh, for all of our listeners, we actually a couple of years back produced a video telling the story of Nathan's first uh, class that I just learned he kind of <laughs> inherited this Messiah idea and uh, and took them through it. And he was going through it for the first time himself. So I'll go ahead and put that, that video story in the show notes so you guys can check that out. And uh, yeah, thanks again for joining us. Just a reminder, you can find all of our episodes and show notes at thebiblereset.com. And if you click the links actually to the individual episodes, there's comment areas at the bottom where you can submit questions or comments or feedback. We'd love to interact with you about some of these topics that we're talking about. So go ahead and do that. And finally, if you'd like to support our work at the Institute for Bible Reading, you can become a change maker at instituteforbiblereading.org slash changemakers. And they are our monthly giving community that's pledged $20 or more each month to help us change the way the world reads the Bible. So thanks for tuning in and we'll catch you guys on the next one. 